you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Today I'm sat here with the awesomeness that is Jamie Pride. Uh, Jamie is a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist who is on a mission to help build better founders and a better venture capital ecosystem to support them. As an entrepreneur, he sold his first startup, uh, Valtio, to New York-based system integrator Blue Wolf and has founded six technology startups as an investor he has raised more than 16 million in funding for startups via private and public markets, including completing an IPO on the Australian Stock Exchange in 2015. So he knows his stuff. He's got more than 20 years' experience in international technology. He's the MD at Five Digital Ventures. He's worked extensively as both an entrepreneur and an investor, and that gives him a unique insight into what it takes to make startups brilliant and what it takes to get funded. It's wonderful to have you here today, to sit and chat with you. Thank you. Uh, we've known each other for a while. I think our journey together probably started, what, four years ago? Yeah, probably about that. Where we were both being pushed very hard in terms of developing our ability to stand on stage and speak. It was a, a pleasant and, and tough exercise. Give me, um, from your perspective, what, what is the whistle-stop journey of Jamie? Where did it all start and how um, did he get to here? Yeah, look, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, I've been doing this for about 20 years. I actually started, surprisingly, as a physicist. So... Um, um, I, uh, as an undergraduate degree, decided that I was going to be um, a scientist, which didn't work out. Um, spent four years studying physics, and then and then ultimately went into technology. So I spent probably the first half of my year, sorry, first first half of my career working for U.S. technology companies. Um, some people like the likes of Cisco Systems and Red Hat. Um, and then came back to Australia um, probably about 10 years ago to be the CEO of realestate.com.au. Um, and that was really uh, sort of my return to, to working back in Australia and sort of being more exposed to sort of technology startups. Um, at that point in time, I founded my first startup, um, which was Veltio uh, on the side as a bit of a side hustle. Um, and that ultimately sort of grew into uh, a multi-million dollar business, which we sold um, in, I think, 2013. Um, and as a result of that, sort of semi-retired and, and started doing investing and, and accelerating startups. And if you go back to being a kid, what is it that you wanted to be when you grow up? Did you always think that this would no, be the world of you? No, no. I mean, look, I got a computer at an early age, um, and I worked as a paperboy. If you even know what those things are, most <laughs> yeah, most I don't know. how old your audience is, but uh, delivered papers um, to save up for my first computer. Uh, but I wanted to be a civil engineer. Um, and uh, and so I did my work experience um, on building construction sites and just went, nah, this isn't for me. Um, and and I, I fell into technology. I was always a hobby, um, but uh, never thought I'd end up, I guess, doing this as a full-time gig. So let's just talk quickly about your latest book, which is awesome. In fact, my, uh, my son picked this up this morning and said, awesome title, mum, unicorn tears. I don't think he had any idea what it was about. <laughs> But um, one thing that I know, having known you for a number of years, is this passion that you've got for startups. Mm. 
but with that passion for successful startups. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what Unicorn Tears is all about. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, for, for probably explanation, a unicorn is a startup that has um, generated a billion dollars in market capital value. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of a, a topic that's sort of thrown around, what's the next unicorn? Um, I, I probably see 120 to 150 startups every year. Startup is the new black, you can kind of throw a rock and everybody's doing a startup. Um, the statistic is that 92% of those startups will fail within three years. That's the, that's the facts. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people maybe get their head around the financial impact of that, but there's a huge amount of waste associated with the 92% failure rate. In anything you did in your regular life, if 92 times out of 100 it didn't work, you'd probably do something else. Um, but, you know, we've got this sort of, uh, sort of a human reality distortion field where people think they won't be one of the 92, they'll be one of the eight, they'll be a unicorn. But there's probably more tears than there are unicorns, um, so hence the title. So um, I'm really passionate about improving the odds of startups being successful, but also the flip side of that is trying to failure-proof founders. Because if you're going to do entrepreneurialism as a full-time career, then you better get used to failure. Um, and so being, a, being I guess... Um, capable of sort of navigating that roller coaster of the highs and lows of being a founder is, is really crucial and something I'm passionate about. So you talk to failure. Have you got a example story you can share where well, you uh, failed? Or got, you, I, how you got yourself out of it? I've got I've got heaps. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, uh, I lost two hundred million dollars in fourteen weeks mm. um, on my last startup. Um, which if you want kind of epic fails, that's that's right up there. I mean, I also made $200 million in the 14 weeks previous, so um, it was sort of the Mount Everest of stock curbs. Um, look, it's, it's it's interesting to sort of be somebody who's who's a thought leader on a topic that you probably spent more time failing than you have being successful. Um, but the reality is you only need to be right once um, in this game. So um, I've had a, had a tremendous amount of failures, both as a founder in my own startups, but also as an investor. Um, you know, I've lost millions of dollars on startups. Um, you know, I've done I've done well on the other side, but I have, I guess, over the course of 15, 20 years working in technology startups, have seen what are the indicators to failure in both investing as well as being a, a founder. And when that happens, how do you make sure you don't end up in a ditch somewhere or leaving the country? How do you get yourself out of it? Yeah, it's, it's really tough. Um, you know, I, I had massive amounts of depression in my last failure. I didn't get out of bed for three months. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a seasoned professional. You know, I'm not somebody who's just coming into this um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I've, I've been working um, in the industry for a long time, and it still hit me really hard. Um, you know, I think in this country, we still have a stigma associated with failure more so than in the U.S. In the U.S., um, you know, failure is almost a rite of passage for entrepreneurs. Um, in Australia, it's still seen as something that is, you know, not great. Now, nobody wants to fail, don't get me wrong, but if you're out there taking risks, um, by the very nature of entrepreneurialism, you're going to fail more times than you're going to succeed. Mm. Um, you know, there's been some very high-profile um, successes in this country, um, and that's great. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't begrudge those founders their success. I think they were also, they would say they were lucky um, that the first time they ever stood up at a plate, they hit a home run, right? Look, that's just not going to be the norm. Mm. Um, and so I think... Um, as as a founder, I believe more in building capacity rather than capability. So um, a lo 
lot of startup education and communication is built around building skills. Um, so lean startup and, and looking at how to make a product successful and product market fit and all of those things. Um, founders tend to neglect themselves. Um, they tend to um, focus a lot on their product and, and, and their staff, which is great, um, but they don't have this sort of concept of self-care, which is what are you doing as a founder to failure-proof yourself, um, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, um, so that you can come back again and again, especially in an economy like Australia where um, we've got a, a limited talent pool. We've got a lot of talented people, but we're just not a very big country. And so you know, one of my personal missions is to make sure that you know, those founders can be recycled and that they don't just sort of give up after their first failure and go back into the corporate world, that they are resilient enough mm. um, that we can kind of build a sustainable startup ecosystem. Mm. And I think that that resilience piece is key. You know, there may be some people listening that are going, yeah, yeah, I get you losing, what was it, 200 million is a massive failure. Um, but they might be going, I feel like a failure because actually no one's returning my calls or I feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall trying to get investing. How do, how do you build that resilience? Yeah. Uh, what and, tips and have you got? Well, I do. I mean, it's, and it's even more so, uh, I think, as a, as a startup founder, you tend to identify with your startup. So if your startup fails, you think you're failing. Um, you know, and, 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 I, and I think the, the interesting thing for me is that you need, I think, to build a really solid foundation as an entrepreneur. Um, and and the, really the three elements that I've sort of mentioned is, is a, a sense of um, physical health. Um, I was, you know, hugely overweight, wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating right. Um, and all those things that you know that are good for you. Um, but, you know, sleep is the super drug. If I could say one thing to founders is sleep more. Um, it's almost anti the Gary Vaynerchuk kind of concept that, you know, I mean, I love Gary. I've met him plenty of times. But, you know, the whole like, hustle, if you're not working 24 hours a day and if you're not burning the candle, you're not, you're not committed enough. Um, I'm really counter to that. You know, my belief is that founders need to really take care of themselves so they can take care of other people. And so, you know, you're not going to weather failure well if you are just not physically fit, if you're not eating right, if you're drinking too much, if you're not sleeping well. Um, the second is really, for me, a sense of, um, uh, I guess, protecting your day. Um, and, and I think a lot of founders confuse activity with productivity. Um, and so the idea of, sort of I'm doing a lot of stuff and I'm hustling um, isn't necessarily always productive. I work with a lot of founders who you know, are getting a lot of stuff done, but it's not necessarily the right thing. Um, and so they have kind of create this sense of chaos. Um, they don't have a regular morning routine. Um, they don't protect their mornings. They're very reactive around email. Um, and so because of that, um, you know, calm is contagious, right? So because of that, they um, create a sense of chaos inside their startups. And they think that's normal. Um, but from a leadership perspective, you know, it's, it's really inefficient. Startups are super scarce on time, money and resources. Mm. Um, and so where you spend that time and how you spend it is really, really critical for me. There was a third. So physical health, setting your, or protecting your day. What was yeah, and, and emotional. I mean, for me... Um, you know, the idea of, you know, how do you deal with criticism? How do you deal with fear? Um, you know, I think uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian has spoken a lot about imposter syndrome. When you take money from other people and you're really putting yourself out there and saying, look, trust me, give me your 200 million bucks, I'll be okay. Um, it's it's almost, uh, you have this sort of sense of dread, you know. Um, I see 30% of, 30 of founders um, present with some form of depression um, and 27% present with some kind of anxiety. Um, and so... 
as a founder, um, unless you can kind of deal with that emotionally, both the highs and the lows, um, you know, you start to um, really um, fall apart. Um, so for me, mindfulness plays a really important part of that. Um, and, and sort of having a bit a, an opportunity to create space to reflect, um, whether it's through journaling or some other mechanism, um, rather than just sort of being in the weeds. Startups are really exciting. They're really fast-paced. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but my, my counsel to founders is, you know, can you create a sense of separation where, you know, you can kind of look from afar and sort of examine what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong um, and create that space. Mm. It's interesting because everything you talk about there, Jamie, in terms of physical health, protecting day and emotional, is actually a personal goal for me this year. I actually said to someone this year, this uh, this morning, this year is all about me holding my boundaries. Yeah. Um, because you can continuously take advantage or think you are of opportunities, you don't want to say no, etc., etc. How would you advise people that are almost going, yeah, yeah, I get it, eight hours sleep, yeah, I get, I've got to do my morning routine, I've got to protect my boundaries and, and meditate and journal, but how do I therefore say no to people? How do I make sure I'm not letting people down that potentially could be that opportunity that's there? Because it takes a lot of courage, that, doesn't it? It does, and you know, when we're speaking to founders, um, one of their biggest issues is relationship management, um, whether it be at home, whether it be with their co-founder or their boards or their investors. Um, and I think that's the crux of um, setting that, setting those expectations early um, and saying, you know, these are the principles by which I work um, by and, and sort of saying to both your spouse or your significant other, you know, this is... Um, you know what the journey is going to look like over the next 12, 18, 24 months. It should be something that's sustainable, by the way. A lot of people think, you know, I'm just going to hustle now because then I'm going to have all this money and it's going to be okay. Um, the routines that you establish today need to be able to run for 10 or 15 years. There is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, you know, most founders believe that, or a lot of founders think that they uh, move into entrepreneurialism because they're going to have, you know, more time, more flexibility, more money. Um, none of those things are true, by the way. Um, you're going to have less time, less money. Um, and, uh, and, and ultimately less autonomy in some in some senses. So um, for me, like I've worked with boards and, and uh, as, as an entrepreneur, setting expectations with them and sort of saying this is what I do, um, setting expectations with your key stakeholders and, and your staff um, for me is the foundation for me able to do that. Um, the number one thing that I've, I've uh, changed, I uh, guess, over the course of my career um, has been really protecting the times between sort of 6 a.m. and 11 um, in the day. Um, to be able to work on the most important things that I want to work on and also to sort of set myself up in the morning for, for, for uh, I guess, the right mental state. Mm, I love all of that. Now, what I'm sensing also with a lot of this stuff and what I'm feeling in the work I'm doing is there's almost things just have to slow down a little bit. Yep. So whilst you're chasing, hustling, trying to deliver on the business plan, what I'm sensing is people are just moving too quickly. Um and that slowing down piece is the bit where there is the thinking and the time to self. Is that what you're sensing as well? It is, yeah. It's almost slow down so you can go faster. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and, and I, I see a lot of, I mean, founders are a particular personality type. Um, you know, by their very nature, you know, founders are on the edges um, of the spectrum um, 
from both introverted and extroverted. The the reality is a lot of founders confuse that hustle um, with actual productivity. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the reason why that's dangerous in an entrepreneurial sense is that you don't have the luxury of infinite resources. Um, if you're working in a big corporate where you've got deep pockets and thousands of staff, you can have a sense of unfortunately a sense of waste and it's not business critical um, if you don't do the right thing as a startup you're dead um, you know Elon Musk says that um, startup is like uh, um, staring into the abyss and eating glass you know and it's true right um, staring into the abyss he means is that you know any one wrong mistake and you can terminate your startup it's you know it's it's a critical extinction event and eating glasses that you've got to do the things that you don't necessarily always want to do um, Reid Hoffman says that a startup is like jumping off a cliff and building a plane on the way down um, but you know I think it's super critical that founders don't get sort of sucked into the whole like I'm crushing it hustle kind of concept yeah you've got to work hard but you've got to work That's smart, smart. What's really interesting though, Jamie, is all the stuff you're talking about, I actually reckon there are people on this podcast in corporates going, that's exactly how I feel. Because as we know, lifetime employment doesn't exist anymore. Uh, People are working ridiculous hours across global boundaries. Uh, Budgets are being cut and hence resources are being cut. And I think the advice that you are sharing from a startup perspective can also apply in corporate in terms of maintaining physical health, setting your boundaries. Um, and that emotional well-being. So I think I think it's the same. It's just a different scale. It, it is, and I think um, for me, having that capacity means you're going to have the energy and the capability to go the distance. Um, you know, whether it be two, three, four startups and three failures or three iterations of your product, um, anybody can sustain short bursts. Um, but it's a marathon and so um, when, when we take founders into an incubator or into a startup we're really saying you know what you know um, new running shoes don't make you a better marathon runner right training and capacity building makes you a better marathon runner right so you know I can teach you a lot of skills I can teach you how to sell more effectively I can teach you how to pitch I can teach you product development um, but unless you've got a basic sense of good capacity then it's a leaky bucket and you know you're not going to be able to sustain the amount of sort of time energy drive it takes to go through three or four product failures or iterations or three or four startups Mm. so you've written a book i have you are still massively involved in a whole heap of businesses Mm -hmm. you're out there advising businesses Mm -hmm. and you're so passionate about startups you've even launched a founder's school haven't you i have yeah so I mean, look, we've done two things. I mean, one of the things that I'm, my, my big project this year is we've just started a not-for-profit um, focused on founder mental health. Um, you know, we sort of see three big things happening with founders. And, and so, you know, the elephant in the room is that um, even most successful founders don't survive the C round of funding in their startups. You know, it's sort of, it's sort of the venture capital community doesn't want to talk about it too much. But most founders sort of get pushed out of their startup um, at some point, right? It's, it's rare that they stay. Um, you know, the kind of three big problems in startup founders right now is they're numbing out, uh, burning out or checking out. Founder suicide is on the rise, unfortunately. Um, they're numbing out, drug and alcohol abuse in the founder community is high. Um, and then you're sort of seeing a lot of founders who are just really on the edge. They're either on pressure because they can't get funding or they've got pressure because they have got funding or they don't have product market fit. Their boards or their investors are breathing down their necks. Um, they feel really isolated. Um, you know, 
it's a lonely sport entrepreneurialism at times and you feel like you know you have to be the oracle of all knowledge and you know you've got to um, you know present an image to your team that you have all of the answers and that sometimes places a lot of stress on founders and so we've started a founder peer support group where founders can come together to support each other in Chatham House Rule where they can talk about the things that they can't normally talk about whether it be their relationships at home with their co-founders um, with their investors or just personal and so we've been running that for about six months now um, we've also got a founder school where we're focusing on building those habits and um, whilst in the community there's a lot of focus on making startups more successful um, we're looking at the problem differently and saying actually let's make founders better um, because that um, will have a disproportionate impact on, on startups we believe that founders have a disproportionate both positive and negative impact on their startups and if we get to the founders in the right way and make them better equipped to be um, founders, then we think that's going to be a force multiplier for startup success. Mm. So you're pretty much living and breathing, spending all your time helping others be brilliant and taking all of your incredible knowledge, insight, learnings, failures, successes to do that. How do you make sure you keep being the best you can be? Um, I've got a really regimented routine, um, which I've probably been doing for the past sort of few years. I think on the back of my last failure, I, I took probably three months off, um, spent a lot of time focusing on my own health, um, started eating vegetarian, started drinking less, um, and really started focusing on mindfulness. And so for me, um, the hours of the day between 7 and 11 are mine. Um, I don't I, it's rare I think we're, we're having this meeting at whatever time it is but I typically do not take meetings before lunchtime with anybody um, and so my view is that if that part of the day is mine I can give away the rest and it doesn't matter if that makes sense so um, if, if, uh, if I get up in the morning work on a morning routine um, focus on the biggest important task that I'm working on whether it be writing a book or doing a, a workup on a startup we're looking at investing in then the rest of the day could be a complete waste if necessary or I could spend it with other people or do whatever and then it doesn't matter you know and, and that for me I, I, I don't have email on my phone um, I don't do any email in the morning I don't have uh, any social networks on my phone anymore um, protecting that time it just gives me such a sense of accomplishment that I can afford to do anything else um, for the rest of the day um, and I feel like I have accomplished what I needed to accomplish. Mm. Um, and so that for me has is, is been a really foundational building block for the past probably 18, 24 months mm. um, um, in terms of really turning around. What I used to do is wake up in the morning, grab my phone, check email, like before I got out of bed. Um, and I just saw one negative email and it just sets your mindset for the whole day. You just go, oh, that sucks. What's, why has that, that startup gone under or why are they complaining? And, and so the first thoughts that enter your mind at 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning are bad ones or somebody else has dictated your agenda for you before you've even got out of bed. Um, and that's just insane. Um, and so for me, um, that, that particular morning routine in terms of how I structure the beginning of my day means that I'm setting the agenda for my day. And then everything else chaotic can happen after that, right? Um, and it doesn't really matter. Did people get pissed off when they can access your diary initially? Um, no, they're used to it now. Mm. Yeah, they're used to it now. Mm. Um, and there's a time where even if I can this is going to sound crazy but i just don't reply to create an, a, the actual right expectation um 
and so you know for me email is evil right I mean it's it's an interesting productivity tool that sort of has, has, uh, has maybe solved some problems for us but you know I look back at the 1950s where people were taking their home with them and I go actually that was pretty good um, at the moment we're working 24 hours a day um, when I was in a corporate job you know people people would not have any hesitation to call you at 10 o'clock at night um, which would have been it's, it's unheard of right in terms of how intrusive that is so um, yeah people do get pissed off a little bit but um, I guess I'm fortunate enough that um, you know I, I have I guess the autonomy to be able to control that time and so I, I truly don't take any meetings before before 12 usually and also surely I have this philosophy if people don't get me and can't understand how I'm working do I really want to work with them too yeah and I think it comes back to your point about protecting your own boundaries so that you can be the best version of yourself absolutely to support others I reckon that's awesome advice and, and one that many 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 people need to adopt so what's what's the biggest challenge for you right now what are you working on uh, the biggest challenge for me actually is um, probably taking a contrarian position um, I think that um, startup is the new black and I go through these waves of cynicism. I think that um, there's a lot of snake oil in the, uh, in the ecosystem, people who are trying to either prey on people who have founded startups and are trying to make money out of them or alternatively, there are people who just shouldn't be entrepreneurs. Um, entrepreneurialism isn't for everyone. Um, I have a lot of conversations with people saying like, don't do it. Right, like you know, uh, you're just going to put yourself through a whole lot of pain. Much better for you to work in the corporate world. It's just going to suit you better. Um, but then again, I mean, I wouldn't do anything else. I'm unemployable, pretty much. I mean, I've been fired from I think every corporate job I've owned or had. Um, but uh, for me, the biggest challenge is that um, I guess the concept of fail fast and lean startup and look, Eric Reese's work is seminal, but I think massively misunderstood. Um, and I think it's being misapplied in the ecosystem very heavily in, in a sense that people are like, yeah, I'm just going to iterate and fail fast and I don't need a plan and that's what it's all about. And like, I can defy gravity. Um, and I think it's way more subtle than that. And so I spend a lot of time, I take every meeting. I, I don't think I've ever not met a founder. Um, if, if I've got the time, I'll meet and give as much free advice as I possibly can. Um, but a lot of founders believe that an idea is good enough and ideas are like abundant, cheap, easy. Um, and so the thing that I'm pushing back against heavily, I think with, with new founders is that it's a lot of, it's a lot more sophisticated than you think it is in terms of creating a business plan and a value proposition and understanding what product market fit really looks like. Um, and the science behind that, but also being ready and prepared to kind of go on that journey. And then from an investor standpoint, really pushing back against the venture community to say, do you know what, founders aren't disposable. Um, we're gonna run out of them eventually. So, you know, we need to have a sense of care um, for our founders um, and, and support them more than just financially, which is I'm gonna drop a million bucks in this startup, good luck, read the book, Eric's Lee's Lean Startup, it's awesome. Um, iterate and fail fast, we're good. Um, it's not a route to success. And you can tell startup failure rates have not improved. We are still 92 out of 100 failing. And the way venture capitalists solve that problem is that us lay a shitload of bets. And you know, as long as the eight that, that, that win, uh, win big enough, 
it doesn't matter about the 92, but I care about the 92 because there are people associated with those startups. Mm, there's, a, there's definitely a human element to all the work that you do. So in terms of um, you, who, who is Jamie when he's not busy helping everyone else? What does Jamie do? What keeps you going? Um, well, personally, I mean, look, I've got a family, three kids, um, and spend more and more time at home, I think, um, than anything else. Um, writing another book, um, I'm really passionate about uh, stoicism, um, so really looking at, um, I guess, philosophically, what other ways are there to solve this problem, um, and are, is the problem a problem? You know, so you know the the, the work, the obstacle is away. I think is a is an amazing book. Um, we're we're starting to sort of bring that to bear when we're talking to founders to say, you know, sometimes. Um, you've got to look at these failures as opportunities. Um, and, you know, you, I think as a human, you learn more from that. Um, so, yeah, so for me, I'm putting a lot, of, a lot of effort into that, a lot of effort into the charity, into the not-for-profit, um, the founder circle. Um, I, I really love um, sitting in front of founders um, and just seeing what they're doing. Like, it's, you know, you can go through these periods of cynicism where you go, oh, my God, are there any good founders? Um, and then you just get slapped in the face and you go, yeah, there's some amazing people out there solving some great problems. Mm. So you've got some kids that are doing some awesome stuff, um, a wonderful dancer, I know. Yep. Um, so what do you see, because you're, you're working a lot of future thinking stuff, what would you see as your dream for, for their future? Yeah, look, I, as a parent, I mean, I've got an 18-year-old, um, a 15-year-old and 11-year-old, and I've struggled with the thing that I think all parents do, which is, is technology bad or good for kids? Because, you know, like, when I was young, I rode, rode around on my bike in the park and they should go outside. Um, and I used to spend a lot of time um, trying to restrict screens, um, and my position on that's changed um, because I think that... Um, the use of technology in our children and the way that they kind of use that technology um, and are just so immersed in it actually is what they're going to do as, as a career. Like if you look at gaming, professional gaming sport, esports is a thing now. And so, um, you know, I, I helped my son build his, um, his, his uh, computer um, the other day and um, you know my view is that uh, technology is just so pervasive um, that they are um, you know in my opinion you know just get, you can't really fight it ultimately excellent you know what we could keep talking there is so much that I would love to ask you the key things I'm taking out of this one you've got to buy uh, Jamie's book Unicorn Tears it's packed full of insight but maintain your physical health set your boundaries and whatever you do, manage that emotional strength, courage to keep going. It's about setting expectation with your network, which I think is just awesome advice because people don't do that. And for me, there's an interesting further conversation we will have around fundamental health. But for all of you listening that are in corporates or are in your own business, I know that there is a stack of lessons that you'll take from chatting to this awesome dude, which is Jamie. Make sure you check him out. Jamie, any final words? No, thank you, thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jane. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.